As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome to From the Rookie End, a podcast about following Watford FC, brought to you by The Athletic. It is a Wednesday evening and Watford have just won three, yes, Watford scored three goals for the first time this season, uh, one at home to Blackburn Rovers. It was a two-goal lead, Blackburn got one back, but the Hornets put the third in early in the second half to not kill the tie off, but definitely to put them in a stronger position, which they were able to see out to the end. My name is John, with me is Mike. I hope Vlad would be proud of me because I'm actually I'm just thinking then I'm more cross that we let one in than the fact we've scored three. <laughs> <laughs> and thank, thank goodness I am joined by Colin as well. Good evening, everybody. Yeah, and I'm actually going to start with Colin because Colin, I'm not saying this is the greatest game of football I've ever watched, but there was something really comforting about watching this contest. I mean, you're absolutely right to say that, John. This was the this was the beginning of the season for me, really. This is kind of the game I expected in the championship. Lots of energy from the opposition. Definitely the best team we've played so far. Thought when they got it into the final third, which was one of the reasons they weren't able to really get the point that I suspect they feel like they deserved because they did play well. They were clearly the best team we played against. For me, they played a little bit like a Graham Taylor side. Get the ball down, knock it into the box, terrify the opposition defenders and try and score. And and in fact, their goal came from a classic sort of Taylor uh, philosophy, which is if you don't shoot, you don't score. And he just he just, you know, he had a had a good shot, hit it hard. It bounced just before Ben and went in. There were times in this game where I felt nervous that they were going to get back in the game, score goals. But I would say that the real quality in this match, the real moments of quality, the players with that real little extra touch, little extra vision, will go into each goal in detail, I'm sure. But I felt that the real quality in this match came from Watford and that is why we've we've run out the winners. I, I think you've done Blackburn a massive disservice there, Colin. I think they I think they, they absolutely bossed that, that first half in the way they played football. I thought they were energetic. I thought they, the way they moved the ball around was 
was really good and and you know they're not a Premier League standard but like you say they're far away that the best team we've played but they they had Watford on the back foot almost from from the get-go and they had Watford bent out of shape a lot I thought in in that first half and I think um, Vladimir Ivic would have been slightly concerned at what he'd seen the first team really who has put had us on the on the back foot and I thought they played in neat triangles they were aggressive they played a long way up the pitch they hassled and harried um, but they, they played some neat football as well and I think they they made a lot of the running certainly in that first half and, and probably will have gone in at half time feeling unlucky to be um, well I, I don't know why they behind. would have been unlucky because they conceded two really really quite poor goals if you really look at it a ball from Garner that went straight through their defence and across from from our right wing back to an open centre forward in the end our quality in the final third is what meant when we went in half time ahead and they will be dis- they will be disappointed with that yes they had the ball yes they put us under pressure but they couldn't produce anything in the final third and we could and that was the difference between the two teams from where I was sitting I do love I do love the enthusiasm and, and I, I do share it but I think Ben Foster tried to make a number of saves I think we have to remember that Christian Cabaselli was lucky not to be sent off after 20 minutes I think if that had been a Premier League Premier League referee I think he probably would have walked I think Cabaselli then switched off from the resultant free kick Ben Foster had to make uh, a fantastic reaction save low down to his right and and you know I'm not. I'm not beating Watford up over this, and I think you've touched on it, Colin. I think you actually, you're making the, you made the right point in as much as our, our quality was was better than their quality. So when we had the chances, we took ours. And I think that I don't to sort of call them two poor goals. I think it's actually they weren't poor goals. I think we had that pace up front and that little bit of extra touch. Kiko showed throughout. You know, he had that little touch. We were better when it when it counted, as you rightly say. But I think Blackburn. Put well and truly put the cat amongst the pigeons, and and, and and you're right. The difference was was our quality, and we did deserve to be ahead because we took our chances, and they didn't. I totally agree with you, Mike. They did put the cat among the pigeons, but we were able to kind of stand up to them, so it was good. You're right, and and yeah, the, the goals came from the quality. Let's talk about those quality, where that quality came from, particularly. Uh, Mr. Jao Pedro continued, Mike, with his his goal goal run. Uh, with with another goal, with his, his his new buddy, who's becoming his best friend almost, uh, Mr. Zar up front. Yeah, and I think I think for the first twenty minutes they looked a little bit isolated up there on, on the, uh, for the first fifteen minutes or so, and they looked a little bit sort of a little bit cut off and a little bit sort of not downhearted because you'd be you'd be worried if a player looked downhearted fifteen minutes into a match. But he thought, oh, are they going to make the right decisions when they get the ball? And I thought Ishmael Lassar probably dwelled on the ball a couple of times and didn't make the right decision a couple of times early on. But but when they did click. When which they did twice in what was it three, three or four minutes there in the in the first half they look they look great and 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 Jao Pedro is is growing I think week in week out he looks strong he looks brave and he he looks like he's relishing this role um, when again Blackburn had some some big old boys out there tonight um, no no quarter asked or given there's some crunching tackles sat, sat here you can really hear the connection when when they clip your heels or or, or thud into your shin or whatever um, but he, he's he's not he's not shirking it at all and. I, I love that about Ja Pedro. I think he's 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 growing almost sort of visibly in front of our eyes week in week out. And his, I thought he took his goal absolutely superbly, steering it into that into that bottom left, really nicely taken goal. The uh, Troy Deeney before the game, you didn't see this, Mike, because it was on the you were, you were at the game, of course, as we can hear the hum, hub hubbub of Vicarage Road. Um, there was uh, Tommy Mooney in the in the commentary and also Troy beforehand did talk about how you know he is 
you know, he's being a student of the game and he still has certain little things he could do to, to get more out of his performances. But like you say, it's been a, a huge, huge um, improvement from him over these last two games. Colin, his partner in crime, Zar, uh, up there with him. Uh, did he add a, a, a huge amount, do you think, to, to the attacking options for Watford in this game? I think he did in the first half. I think in the first half he really put that poor old left back <laughs> under the gosh poor fella I think he's called Dybala is that right and uh, he was just like I just want to go home and, and you know get a comfort blanket because this is no fun um, but what was interesting at half time was that um, Deeney said oh you know they go, everything's going down the right hand side and actually what they need to do is to switch it out to the left hand side from time to time where you've got Ken Sammer then you take a little bit of pressure off Saar. And then if you if you can make that diagonal ball back into Saar, he might have more space to operate in. But, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Ismail Saar makes us a better side when he plays. And he played really well tonight. I thought that he was in the game for pretty much, really, for the first sort of 75 minutes. And then he was, he was starting to sort of slightly fade out. He went off to Africa in the international break he came back late couldn't play in the derby game and so obviously you know there is a certain amount of fatigue surrounding him but he when he's on his when he's on it and when he can get the ball at his feet when he can take on a defender he really um gives us an extra dimension that that most teams in the championship simply don't have his pace is just uh eye-wateringly good and and also he's he, what he is doing he's his finesse with the ball at his feet, is getting is improving. You're seeing a player who has come in for a lot of money, the most money we've ever spent on a player at our club, and uh, he's got a lot of raw talent. But you can starting to see the canniness, you know, which is part of his talent, the finesse, the little pass, the dink, the chop back, the the way that he can cut inside doesn't always go to the byline. And I thought that really the thing that stood out in the game tonight, having been rather hesitant and worried about the idea that Pedro and Saar were our front two, two very young and experienced players, inexperienced players, I should say. Can they really work together? Neither of them are a number nine, really. You know, one is a, naturally a wide player and the other is really kind of a number 10, I would say, in, you know, going forward. He likes to sit a little bit deeper, Pedro, and, and, and play off and then see if he's got, who's the striker, who can he get it into? But both of them are doing brilliantly well because I thought that Pedro's goal was really his tap-in, if you want, was made by the fact that he had made a decision to get into the six-yard box, which is not, I don't think, I don't think it's his natural game, but he's finding himself in the six-yard box in order to put himself in a position where he can get those those goals, those types of goals. And Saar also, instead of just playing as an out-and-out you know, a sprinting right winger is also starting to come in a little bit. And I thought it was really interesting in the first half that Cleverly, who was ostensibly playing in a three-man central midfield, was actually finding space out on the left-hand side to give Watford an option as an outlet on that side of the pitch and take a bit of the pressure off those front two. But Saar definitely, um, you know, he, he came in and he had a good performance tonight. That second goal, his, the second goal came... Purely down to him. The, the goal, the, the the Blackburn goalie spends a lot of time towards the edge of his box. He plays quite advanced, I think, presumably to spring into action and clear his lines if necessary. But the but the pace of Saar really undid him for that for that second goal because he was on him so quickly. Um, the, the, the turn the turn and he was in before the goalie really knew what he was doing. So he was always bent out of shape and uh, uh, Shmaila Saar unlucky not to score and and cleverly there with the with the rebound. But I think that showed just what what we have in Ishmael Saar, just that brief sort of 
couple of seconds, the goalie, you know, in a, against a pro most other teams, he's not going to have that. He's not going to have someone who will just have that spring-heeled pace that will bend him completely out of shape in a split second. And, that, and that's what we've got with Ishmael Lassar. And, and Colin's right. I think what they're finding is the ways to best impose themselves on the game. I spoke about João Pedro sort of growing physically and, and relishing the challenge. And, and I think Colin's absolutely right. And that's one of the most exciting things about Ishmael Lassar is the way he learns how he can use his talents and skills um, to best benefit Watford. And I think we saw, we saw more tonight from him than we, we potentially have so far. So, yeah, really encouraging signs with those two, with, with of course, plenty to come back up top. The two players learning a little bit more, improving every single game they're playing. But T. Clev, Tom Cleverley got the second goal. Uh, got a new contract, uh, an extension to his current one this week. Uh, some quite negativity on Twitter, which I really, really, really don't understand. Um, we know his role he has. Uh, we know what he does. And Mike, particularly, do you sort of see you at these games? Do you sort of see him in that sort of captain position and, and with those young players around him talking to them quite a lot? What's notable to this evening was that the Blackburn were very, very, very vocal indeed. Virtually to a man, you'd hear them all um, geeing each other up in at the ref, shouting. Um, very, very vocal. Not, not something you get from Watford. Ben Foster, as we've seen in his YouTube videos, we know is um, is very vocal. I was just I did have a look. I didn't see the uh, didn't see him hastily kick the uh, the GoPro camera out of sight after he conceded that goal. But um, yeah, I, I think I, th I think you're absolutely right, John. What you allude to is that he's that bit of experience. It's that wise head, someone who can guide those youngsters around him who are who are learning the game and still finding their feet, certainly in this division. Um, and I don't think he's a, he's a sort of howling, yelling banshee of a player, but he is that sort of tough tackling, experienced player who knows when to have a little word with the ref, knows when to get his foot in. So, yeah, I think he's he's really important um, in, in that side. Certainly at the moment, well, we've, we saw Kapu come on later in the game. We're still waiting for Will Hughes. So it still is a sort of midfield that is is trying to find its feet, really. And I didn't think it looked great um, in terms of balance, certainly in the first half tonight and in, in periods. But, but cleverly for me, Whilst he doesn't always have the the, the best the best performances, I think he's he is a a key component at the moment in that midfield role. So I think it's no surprise to me that he's been given given that extra con contract. Yes, like you say, John, for he's on the pitch, but also I imagine on training he's keeping people honest. He can talk in the training in the in the dressing room that sort of stuff. We do need senior pros around this squad, and uh, he's most definitely one of those in international Premier League experience. I'm I'm, I'm glad we've still got him. And also, I thought he read the game really well tonight. I mean, the fact that he scored that goal was because he read the move and he could see that the ball over the top, which was a fairly speculative ball forward, was sort of nodded onto his shoulder by Saar, then brought down by his right foot. But cleverly busted his you know, a gut to get into a position where there was no one anywhere near him. No one picked him up. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, the sort of mistakes that they made for those goals. There was no one anywhere near Cleverley. No one had spotted his run into the box. And that's what Tom Cleverley can, can give us because in his youth... You know, he was an attacking midfielder. As he's got older, he's become a more of a central kind of controlling midfielder. But in that instance, he read the moment. He thought, if Sarkin gets control of this ball, there's a moment there. There's a massive amount of space in front of me. Get into the box, Tom. And if it if it rebounds, I might get a chance to score. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what he can give us. I mean, that that's a very, very vital goal. And it's a very important goal during the match, but also possibly for our season. 
The other man, well, he has to be the man of the match, really. Um, I'm sure we'll see some great footage on his YouTube channel because he's a YouTube sensation now. Uh, Mr. He totally ben Foster. is the goalkeeping cyclist. Or is, he, <laughs> is he the cycling GK? I can't remember. Yeah, but it's, it's super stuff. You should watch it. Yeah, and uh, you can you can watch that on uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, he, you know, in the first half, Mike, it was some absolutely fantastic saves. It, it, it tops off when you when a goalkeeper saves a penalty, but just. Doing what Ben does and just proving again, he's got to be the best goalkeeper in the championship. So yeah, up there definitely. There's no sort of there was a little bit of talk about Liverpool coming in for him um, in the in the transfer window. I don't think anything materialised, but the fact that that wasn't really a surprise it shows just how good good he is. And what what I thought was fantastic, I sort of was perhaps a little bit harsh on on Cabo with his um, uh, giving away that that free kick, but that save that that Ben Foster made from the resultant free kick when Cavaselli got that booking low down to his right is one of those you've got a split second to react. He did it. Ultimately, you know. <laughs> dropped one in a couple of minutes later but he hadn't had a save to make I think he'd had nine saves to make in the Championship League season so far up until that point so to remain switched on when you know you've got a side that's going to be keeping the the opposition chances down to a minimum to be able to switch on like that um, I think is absolutely fabulous and he, he was great throughout I thought he made some really terrific saves he looked very very uh, very very solid he dominated his his area um, the speculative balls that, that that Colin mentioned earlier that came increasingly as the game wore on Ben Foster claimed without any any real difficulty and yeah culminated in the, the last real piece of work he had to do was was saved that that penalty uh, I mean it did look it's never easy to save a penalty but he guessed right and it was a, a reasonable height wasn't it so he'd have been disappointed had he not saved it having gone the right way but I think it capped off a really really good performance for Ben Foster and an, and an important one and I think Colin and I were, were we weren't arguing at the start I think we both agree that Watford deserved to win the game but I think I think Blackburn did come close to to, to, to getting something out of it certainly in the first half and the fact that they didn't is is, is down in huge part tonight to, to Ben Foster absolutely superb performance and you, you're right John I think we, we should be grateful to have him and he has to be up there as uh, as one of if not the best goalkeeper perhaps in any second tier um, in the world I'll put that one out there <laughs> well you say that penalty save capped off a good performance but the game was capped off Colin uh, with the uh, the entrance of this season from one Etienne Capu uh, and he, he quite quickly showed Basically, what he's going to do, nutmeg quite a lot and dinks and balls long to Ishmael Azar. Well, the good thing about Kapu, of course, is he's, he's played in this team. It's not like he's a new signing. So he, he knows the, the geography of the side and his, his connection with Saar, his, his diagonal balls out to the right are something that we have grown to love. It'll be interesting to see how he develops over the next 10 weeks before the window closes in terms of the thing that he's most known for, which is interceptions, closing players down, breaking up play winning the ball that's that's really been his biggest stat in his career we love the the you know the the languid uh, diagonal passes but it's interesting you know for a, for a team like us we've come down from the premier league it's you know it's it's very uh, it's very difficult to take as a fan you know that's what's happened we have to deal with it but to still be able to bring on a, a player of the quality of Jeremy and Gakia when Firminia went off at right back, to bring on a player, you know, in a way as good, if not better than Firminia, and to bring up to have to take off cleverly, who and you know we're going to play another four games before the end of this month or three games before the end of the month, to bring off cleverly and bring on a player of the quality of Capu does show our strength in depth. But I thought 
what was interesting about Kapu was he did he did look up for it. I mean, he did look up for the fight. Like I'm in, a, I'm playing football. This is the thing I love. I want to play football. And I, you know, here are these chaps in blue and white, and I'm gonna get stuck in. We're in a good position in this game. We should win it. And I thought he really contributed when he came on. So that is good news for what for football club he, he raised the level i thought i thought the way he sort of moves the ball just whether it's to himself to get to get himself into position to move the ball on or to flick it on i think he gave everyone a little bit of a boost when he came on and just the level just the quality in that in that midfield just did improve it was slightly frenetic at times but he, he's quite good at buying himself a little bit of time and then and then picking a pass and and Watford even when they were under pressure did did stuck to their guns didn't they and passed the ball around um quite night quite nicely back there and and yeah I think having just a player of the quality of Etienne Kipu, he just exudes that sort of... Um, Je ne sais quoi? Oui, oui, monsieur, oui, d'accord. Watford, you feel like a better, a, better, a better unit with him in there. And I think the, the, as an opposition player, you think, right, I'm up against a serious operator here as well, who's going who's gonna to be taking the ball away from me a lot. So great to see Kapoor back. If, if, if I may, John, I'm just going to mention him very, very briefly, because I know we've, we've talked about a lot. But in, in the first half, I thought we struggled down the left. I don't think we managed to get Ken Semmer into the game much at all. And then, of course, in the uh, first off in the second, it, you could see, I was, I'm sat in the Sir Elton John stand, and I think probably within the first minute, 46 minute or something, he put a ball in across, and it was a very, very clever angled ball. That, that I think he, he took it early, and it was slightly different uh, angled into to what the defence were expecting, and it, and it really did ask some serious questions um, and got them thinking. And just a minute later, I think he earned that own goal with a brilliant ball in a, a minute earlier. So that was great that, that Ken Semmer didn't have a huge impact in, in the first half, I, I didn't think anyway. And then really, you'd have hoped that that goal killed the game off. But he earned that with a very, very clever run and very, very clever ball. So I was, I was thrilled to see Ken Semmer make, a, make an impact. Troy at half-time had said, if they go down the left a bit more, they'll make more space on the right. And, so, and, it, and weirdly, they did do that. And again, it was about quality, wasn't it? The ball from Semmer for that third goal, the ball was of such quality that it turned the defenders to face their own goal. They couldn't see if who was coming in behind them. He had to try and play it. And in a way, although, you know, an own goal is always a mistake, probably, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's a mistake, an own goal. But the quality of the ball into, the, into that, you know, it was sort of three yards between the keeper and the, and the central defender. It was... It was but the person I'd like to talk about, I would say that we saw from Chalabar, you know, and again, another step forward in, in his improvement because I thought he was really up for the fight in that midfield. Yes, there were times when it was a bit hurly-burly in there, but he never took a backward step. And I thought he and Garner, in fact, um, really tried to really worked hard in that central area in front of our back three and, um, you know, really, really worked much harder and when he got the ball he showed some quality but I just I'm just beginning to feel like the Chalabar of old or, or the new Chalabar because he's not the same player as he was when he came to us on loan the first time is suddenly starting to gel in that in that central midfield position and he's starting to look like the player we we hoped he would be and I thought in the last 15 minutes where things really got a bit easier for us because they started to tire he again just just that calmness and, and but also that aggressiveness getting into tackles you know winning the ball sniffing out danger but then when he's got it calm pass it knock it back to Dengakia knock it forward and I, I really was impressed with Chalabar uh, today Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. On Monday evening, the club held an At Our Place fans forum in Old Money, uh, where you could didn't have to go to the ground. Uh, they were live on YouTube, and you can watch the whole event uh, with Scott Duxbury, the CEO and chairman of the club, and Vladimir Ivich taking questions uh, from fans. And afterwards, Mike and I caught up with Jacob Colshaw from the WD18 YouTube channel to find out about what we all felt about what was said by Scott and Vlad. <laughs> The joy for this evening for me has to be the Junior Hornets getting their questions in. (laughs) I don't know about you, Mike. There was a certain honesty that I think events like this I've never been to before, never had. (laughs) Yeah, they couldn't have Arlo on because they couldn't trust that they'd hit the dump button soon (laughs) enough for his his blue leg. But no, I think and that that was indicative of the whole thing. I loved the the fact that there was the the video link up with not only with supporters, but like you say, John, the, the younger element as well. I think that's something that those kids will genuinely remember you know they'll be going to bed this evening we're speaking right after the fans forum buzzing at the opportunity to speak to Vladimir Ivich and and Scott Duxbury two absolutely key components of of Watford Football Club so to a to give the kids the chance to do that I think is absolutely fantastic and it does speak to the way that Watford do things you know the, the the media team there understand I think the importance of these things and those little extra elements make it all the more worthwhile and Overall, it's great that they've done it, isn't it? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know how many other clubs will have done something similar, but I, I dare say it's not that many. Um, so, regardless of uh, of how people felt about the event and what and what they got from it, the fact that it exists in the first place, I think, is hugely impressive, very, very important. And as always, I think it's a big hat tip to the to the club for doing it. And and like you say, John, that little extra flourish of having the Junior Hornets on was was brilliant. It certainly enjoyed that a lot. I mean, they were they were. Over every time I looked, I wasn't keeping an eye on it too long. Over two thousand fans, yeah. sort of watching it at a time, and that's as bigger than you could ever got at an event like that before at Vicarage Road. I mean, you could technically fill Vicarage Road and sit them in the, in the centre circle, but that's never going to happen. But Jacob, you know, what, what, taking away from it, what, what are you taking away from it? We were saying before, not not a lot that we didn't know already. I think the biggest one was one for me was about Adrian Mariapa's situation. I didn't actually think Watford wanted to keep him, but obviously Scott Duxbury. Uh, basically confirmed that the club did, held long negotiations, um, couldn't find an agreement. And potentially the reason we haven't seen an announcement or even just an acknowledgement of Maps's time at Watford is potentially because it turned a little bit sour with the negotiations. I don't know, I'm only m- making rumours up. But yeah, it, that, was a, that was a bit of an unusual one for me. But Mike, what about that, that Maps? It was quite yeah. interesting that Scott admitted... You know, they hadn't. They they had dropped the ball. And I was pretty disappointed on that because I've been quite vocal both on, on social media and, and on the podcast when, when people have brought up what's happening with Mariapa, what's happening with Mariapa. And I've ad nauseam said, well, look, they're not going to forget one of their longest serving players, someone who came through the youth ranks, someone who is an incredible servant to the club. They simply won't do it. You know, judging, you know, I've spoken just a few moments ago about how Usually the tone and it is absolutely spot on from from Watford. I find anyway. I've 
went into bat really for them to say, look, they're not going to have forgotten about maps. And ultimately, you know, Scott acknowledged, admitted, whichever way you want to call it, that they, they dropped a bit of a rick on that one. And I was very, very surprised and, yeah, a bit disappointed. Jacob reading between the lines a little bit there that it could have dragged on a little bit longer and things didn't end the way they wanted. But nevertheless, I think whenever a player leaves, it probably, more often than not, there's something that hasn't gone quite right for whatever reason. So surprised and disappointed by that and uh, yeah I have, I have a few people on Twitter uh, an apology I think because I was pretty firm in my stance that if we were patient we'd hear something from Watford and yeah Scott basically admitted that they uh, they got that one wrong so I did too but yeah big surprise and, and slightly disappointing that And but obviously they regret it and it was you know this is this is the beauty of these things it, it gives Scott an opportunity to acknowledge, acknowledge it and, and apologise so I think at least it's out there in the open but yeah surprised and disappointed by that one yeah, because he, he is an honest fellow, and and you know I've been to many of these events and and seen Scott talk, and I suppose I think the the circumstances of being in a well lit mm-hmm. cameras in front of you situation, it wasn't the same Scott Duxbury I've normally seen at these events. It wasn't quite as as light and humorous as as he normally is. Uh, once the the crowd in in the room sort of warm up and. You know, and he opens up, and I think maybe another situation is the fact that he knows it's going out for the whole world to see yeah. right there, not just the people in in that room. The the well, dynamic was very different, John. You're right to touch. You're right to touch on it, and it's, it's great that it was well presented. But without the fans there, there's no one to bounce off. Did as well as they could, I think, with the format. But there's no sort of natural flow to it, and often a, someone would respond to a. You know, if I ask a question, someone else might follow up off the answer at the back of that, and and so on and so forth. And I think that sort of natural and flow wasn't wasn't really there through no one's fault that was just the dynamic of it and it didn't really probably allow anyone um scott scott duxby in particular to loosen up did it and like you say we didn't see the scott duxby that we've seen before you know he's a good orator he's a good speaker he's usually very open and i think he does react well to to being in the same room with people and that that just wasn't there tonight and you did feel that was uh, that that was missing and it, we perhaps didn't get the um the performance is the wrong word but you know what i mean we didn't get the sort of connection that that, that we might have ordinarily got for obvious reasons i so the other sort of important thing jacob we, we heard about was and i said i want to know about more than anything is about the finances of the club and overall he seemed chipper about it yeah he did i think it was obviously a, a big positive was hearing how They've always set out the Pozzos and Scott Duxbury how they want to be here for the long term. And he reiterated again that Gino, this is his home. He wants to be here. Um, this is his football club. But even with the finances, I don't know. It, on the one hand, yes, it was good to hear about. But on the other hand, I think it was, I don't know, a little bit negative towards it, actually. I think we, we mentioned on the WhatsApp group, you know, repeatedly saying relegation is a financial disaster. Now, I don't know whether he's suggesting that it's been a financial disaster at Watford, but he wasn't talking about it very positively. Uh, he also reiterated about how it was important to keep the the assets we had rather than sell. And I know with Esti Pinyan and, and Suarez, that, that was made pretty clear that they left because they didn't want to be here. I think Scott Duxbury, they've always been very shrewd with their business. They know it's a difficult period for the world, let alone the football club. And we all know at the moment it's going to be financially straining on the club. But I think they've done pretty well um, with the transfer business. And it's seen that they've got it under control and, and, and the best of a bad situation, really. So... Yeah, I think that was that was mostly positive, but yeah, it did seem that he was frustrated about the the massive financial gap between the Premier League and the Championship. And obviously, when um, asked about project big picture, he was keen to to reiterate that 
that gap needs to be closed as quickly as possible. Yeah, because he said, he said, didn't he, that I think it, the, the budget is never balanced, but we're financially stable, which is probably about as good as it gets for a football club. And they'll find once. a way to su- mm. and they'll find a way to survive. He yeah. says, yeah. And but I did think it was interesting the way he framed it, saying you know it shouldn't be a uh, a financial catastrophe; it should be a competitive disappointment. And I think that's mm. probably kind of right, isn't it? And perhaps that's the sort of balance that the Premier League have tried to strike with the parachute payments over the year. But um, whether that was him alluding to that there needs to be a better solution to, to project big, big picture or whatever the solution is to fix the pyramid, because obviously under this situation there is there are, there are some big issues facing clubs all over the place. So whether that was him saying something needs to be done is is not sure. But I think overall, you know, the financial picture, it sounded to me like he was pretty... Bullish is probably a bit strong, but you know, saying look, this is this is as good as uh, as we'd expect it to be at this stage. Which I guess you know we have to take it at face value as supporters, don't we? And that's that's good enough for us. We don't have to lie awake at night worrying about the uh, about the balance sheet. That's Scott and Gino's job. So if they're happy, then then I guess we should be happy. He did mention uh, supporters not being at the games a oh, few didn't, times. <laughs> uh, Soul destroying, he said, uh, which is true, and we 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 got that, Scott. Um, well, I have to say, I have to say, John, and, yeah. and you know, I am lucky enough to be you at are, the yeah. games with with work, and I I agree. It for the first time this year, you know, going to football feels like I'm going for work for a job. Um, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful. I know people would 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 sort their right arm to to get to go to a game, but it really it's very hard to articulate just how much it doesn't feel like football without the supporters there. It feels sort of inherently pointless, which was what Scott said a lot. It and it really does. It just feels empty. It feels soulless. You think, what is the actual point? We are we're fulfilling a fixture, fulfilling a for. We're fulfilling a fixture, fulfilling for fixture's sake. Red lorry, <laughs> yellow lorry, red lorry. Um, and yeah, so, and I, and I know he did labour the point, but having been there myself, it's so, so true. I understand why he, he kept going back to it, because I think it's it's difficult to, to articulate that. It's difficult to, to get that point across for people who are so starved of, of sport. And again, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it is just so odd. It is so, so weird and quite frankly, a little bit depressing. A couple of little things sort of that came and came and went a little bit. They weren't let's not call them huge things, but they were interesting when they came up. Julie Lewis or Mama Lewis, as she is to uh, to Andy and Kate, um, she talked about the radio silence from the club, uh, and I definitely felt that as well. Uh, and Scott did say he was surprised by that. He did sort of say he had said things, but I think what Scott, I think what Julie was probably getting at was the fact that the gaps between the things that were said were were quite huge uh, in the panic of a relegation time, even though in the day after a good message was put out, it was a long time before another one was. Um, and I felt, you know, it was interesting that Scott ha- didn't feel that, Mike. Yeah, he was quite bullish, really, wasn't he, on that? He said he didn't didn't feel it at all. And then he did sort of allude to the fact how busy they've been and how difficult a period it's been. But, you know, the fact of the matter is a lot of people have been saying that the communication hasn't been great. And when I say a lot of people, I mean supporters and football supporters are notoriously hard to please. Let's not forget that. You know, I am one and I am notoriously hard to please, as you know, only too well, John. Um, and Jacob, you're finding out to your cost on our, uh, on our uh, off mic chats. But uh, so we football supporters are notoriously hard to please. But if 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 us, if the football supporters are saying, if Watford supporters are saying we don't feel the communication has been good enough, then 
perhaps the communication hasn't been good enough. You know, it's it's pretty uh, pretty black and white. And you know, we said on the on the WhatsApp group, he, Scott said he was surprised by the by the by that criticism. But then we've had follow up questions about communication on the stadium, communication on uh, Mariapa, uh, communications on on Nigel Pearson leaving, and obviously there's sensitive issues around there. But I think that uh, it would have perhaps he did acknowledge certain things later in later in the piece, and I think perhaps that might have been an opportunity to acknowledge that okay, we're listening, we'll we'll hear that feedback and and come back to you. But yeah, it was uh, it was quite um, jarring. That probably over overstating a little bit, but yeah, he was quite um, entrenched in his view that he thought that the, the comms had been good enough. I guess from his point of view, what can you say? We're, you know, we're, we're working on it. We've been relegated. We know we're going to go try and get Watford back into the top flight as soon as possible. That's that's the message, really. Jacob, what else stood out for you in the evening? One of the answers from from Ivic actually really, yeah, got got my attention. It was about the left back situation. Now, I think as as Watford fans, we can all agree that we've we've been needing a left back since Adam Messina's um, injured at the moment. I know Ken Semmer can do a role there, and obviously Kiko can fill in. But it would be nice to have a an out and out left back as as a cover for Messina, or even take his spot. And we obviously opted for the five three two three five two since Ivic has come in. And it, the suggestion was that that wasn't his preferred formation. That's the formation he's kind of been forced to use due to the lack of a, of a natural left-back. We know Adam Messina can play there, but he's out, obviously he's out injured and on the road to recovery. And he said, if we can get in a left-back, I think that's a position he wants to bring in, then we can revert to the 4-3-3, which has been known to play at Makui Tel Aviv before and some really nice free-flowing football. So that's definitely one to look out for. Whether we dip into the... So the free agent market will be, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly I got the impression from Ivic that he wants another left back. And actually he said one or two players. I don't know what other position he was thinking of. Maybe a depth in, in another area. I think left back's obviously the priority. Um, who we can get in, I'm not too sure. But yeah, that's definitely to one, one to look out for. Obviously over the championship season, we're going to have to use a different, different styles, different formations. Um, and I think certainly if we bring in a left back, then we'll revert to the 4-3-3 the three, three that I think he'd prefer to use. It was great to hear from uh, Vladimir Ivic, I must say, but very, very unnerving to see him in civvies, not in like, <laughs> not a Watford um, tracksuit. It was, uh, yeah, most peculiar. And well done to the person who got a smile out of him right at the end there, asking which his favourite Elton John uh, song was. I did enjoy that. But yeah, we've talked a lot about um, Scott Duxby's answers, but it was interesting to hear from 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 Vlad, wasn't it? And I think he probably, you know, he straight batted most of the answers as as best he could. But uh, yeah, good to good to sort of spend an hour, if you like, with the with the boss and I think one of the first things that he said which struck me was that he was aware of the the situation he came into it with his eyes wide open I suspect he wasn't ever going to say anything different with his boss sat uh, to a meter to his right was he but he did he was at pains to say that he came he understood what the situation was going to be with with finances that that players were going to be going so I thought that was uh, that was interesting I never really doubted that with him he doesn't really strike me as the kind of guy who's going to turn up and say oh hang on a minute you I thought I'd still have uh, Delafeu Danny Welbeck and all these, you know, he's uh, he's he's someone that does his homework. I think so, not not a big surprise. But yeah, it was it was really really nice to hear from from him as well. I think what was really interesting about um, what Vlad was saying was obviously the priority is to get promoted this season. I think mm-hmm. if we if we don't get promoted, it's a failure. But also his other objective was to play as much youth as possible. Yeah. Now I think over the last few seasons we've been guilty of playing aging players, and this. The whole period has been probably the most difficult time to do it, but a complete rebuild of the squad was needed. And I think he seems like the the right man to do that. And obviously time will tell, but he's got a real focus and emphasis on playing as much youth as possible. We mentioned Jeremy Ngakia, Tom Delibashiri, who we know is out at the moment with the injury, Jao Pedro, of course, 
Um, we've got plenty of youth coming through, plenty of talent, and he seems like he really wants to utilise that alongside some more of the experienced players. So that was a really encouraging uh, thing to hear from him as well. And that's encouraging for me, Jacob, as well, because I've seen some of those players um, playing, well, we've all seen them play for Watford this year, and it's given me a sort of renewed sort of sense of belonging and they're quite an important connection to to the club seeing those those younger players come through it feels like we're building again as opposed to sort of trying to put sticking plasters on and uh, and tread water a little bit so that's that's been exciting to me but also what I thought was was good as I mentioned earlier that that Scott Ducks we made a couple of acknowledgements and one of those was that they've kind of taken the, the eye off their ball to a degree with with youngsters playing playing for Watford which I thought was was interesting that he made that that acknowledgement as well and the other thing that he said which kind of leads into it was that they felt that you know they've lost their identity a little bit over the last couple of years which which feeds into that as well doesn't it and I thought those were two sort of interesting admissions um, and I think they were quite refreshing to to hear as a supporter because especially at the moment when we're not at, at games we do need that connection don't we it's, it's more important than ever that this is a, a club and a team that we can get behind and believe in and feel something about and I think addressing those those issues get going back to basics a little bit bringing in some some younger players that we can see develop in the in the yellow shirt and hopefully go on to deliver success for Watford and then go on to forge a career that's kind of what we see the I'm going to use the word project but see see that see the the, the the Pozzo model doing isn't it getting success for Watford and success for for players and and that really hasn't been the case over the last sort of 18 months or so and uh, a, a return to that those those targets and aims seemed to be pretty high on both men's agenda didn't it and that was uh, that was nice to hear I thought yeah, Scott definitely made a thing about separating the club success. That was the off-the-pitch yeah, stuff yeah. and the on-the-pitch, which they are sorting out still. But, Jacob, you know, at the end of it, it's only an hour. Um, I think it's quite a good length sometimes the other fans' forums have been to sort of drag on a little bit. How, how are you feeling about Watford after listening to what, what Vlad and uh, Scott had to say? I think the fans' forum is always a really good thing just because it's very honest, open. Um, and I know Scott didn't want to touch on a few of the questions, didn't really want to go into depth about certain things. I think the Nigel Pearson situation was one which, I mean, it was it was a good effort from the, from the man who, who who asked, but he wasn't going to get more more than just it was in the best interest of the football club. We learned a few things, as I said before, the Mary Apple was probably the bombshell and probably the, the headline, if you, if you like, from, from the whole fans' forum. But I think they're... The club are doing the best they can in this situation, not only with Hive Live, but also doing the fans forum as well. And I also thought that the video questions were really good. And as I said, made the best of a bad situation because we all want to be at Vicarage Road or at the uh, locations they do all over the country, doing these fans forum in person. But I think, yeah, they, they did a really good job, good job with it. Um, but in terms of how I'm feeling about the football club at the moment, as Mike said, I'm, I'm just excited, actually. I think Ducks, we mentioned a lack of identity, I think, over the last couple of seasons. And I feel with Ivic, we're on the path to, to rediscovering that. Obviously, wins do help. Um, and we've had a very solid start to the season. But what's also encouraging is I don't think we've played our best football and it's only going to improve from here, I think. And that's hope, hopefully if we can keep our main players fit. We've got Husey coming back, Kapu, Saar, Dini, Gray. I mean... We've got a lot of quality. I don't think there's any discussion that we've probably got the best squad in the championship. It's just whether we can utilise our talent at the right times and at the right areas. And if the the schedule, as Ivic actually identified in the fans forum, the, the three-day fixture and the, the gaps between the fixture, he identified that that's going to be something to challenge and something to, to work with. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this season and, and looking forward to seeing where it goes. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Mark, the, the one thing that sort of, is, we, we recorded that on Monday, uh, and the, the thing that I've sort of kept in my head, the thing I don't quite feel answered, I don't think it's going to be answered quickly, is this commitment that Scott put to, to playing youth. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was like an acknowledgement that they hadn't done it as much. They hadn't committed so much to, to youth in the, in, the, in, the, in the past couple of, of seasons, which is, has been apparent. And one of the things that we've liked in the past about being Watford supporters is, is using that youth. And I think Scott, the fact that Scott acknowledged that they hadn't focused so much on that over the past sort of, well, period really, perhaps over the Premier League period they've sort of um, not tapped into it as much that that is clearly going to have to change for a number of reasons and I think it's going to be fascinating over the coming weeks just to see how that that manifests itself. Uh, Mike up with uh, Adam Leventhal the Watford correspondent for The Athletic uh, to find out his views and what he's find out because you know he knows a lot more about the deep depths of uh, what goes on at Vicarage Road and the wider world of football uh, about if there will be opportunities for the young players at Watford this season. I think there are some good examples of younger players now being given an opportunity and I think in the past it was a necessity because Watford couldn't go out and spend big money now it's a necessity because we've had to trim our squad and we have to give some younger players opportunities if you were to say it to a, another team's fans and you would say oh you know we're going to give youth a chance they would be going oh well right, who's, who's the top player that you're going to be bringing through your academy obviously with the Pozzo approach it's not necessarily going to be homegrown talent that is coming through Although the hope would be that, you know, the likes of Daniel Phillips and Sonny Low Everton or someone like that perhaps could, could come through. In your investigative work, Adam, over the last sort of period of time, of those players that perhaps that we haven't seen so much of, like Sonny Low Everton, who would you say is, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, you can see the panic in your eyes, but who is the, who is the player that perhaps Watford supporters haven't seen much of that you think or, or the, the club have the highest hopes for at the moment? It's difficult to tell because I think having sort of reappraised the way that they've run their academy they're trying to get everyone up to a decent standard and you've got to remember that Watford's academy is a couple of rungs below you know Premier League level so and I think we got a little bit of a glimpse when we were we saw those games against Tranmere last last year well some of them were early this year it seems like a long old bloody <laughs> year doesn't it some of them aren't quite up to standard yet and they're still trying to evolve it trying to work out right do we bring players in or do we just bring them through our own academy you know under 16s under 17s through to the under 23s or you know how are we how are we going to do this so i think that's still a work in progress going back to your original point i think if you look at how we are sort of trying to evolve yes you've got younger players now who have been part of the model the likes of obviously you know Ishmael Asar let's not forget yes he's an established player who's worth 40 50 million pounds or whatever but he's still very very young you've got João Pedro 19 years old you've got Jeremy Ngakia who's been who's been brought in you've got Ben Wilmot who's been drawn back you know he's now playing you've got Daniel Backman in behind um, Ben Foster You've then also cut off some of the older players in that defensive line, the likes of Holobas and Adrian Mariapa. Obviously, the goalkeeper, Aurelio Gomez, has gone as well. And you're, you're bringing in a, a younger player like William Trustekong, who is he's only 27, so you know, he's still in his 20s, and he can be here for the next five years. So I think 
when people think of younger players, they think, oh, right, well, we're going to be full of 18, 19-year-olds. But no, it's, it's about sort of getting rid of the 32-year-olds. And let's not forget, we could, have, we could have lost Dini. We could have lost Kapu. Yes, we've had a couple of other older players transition over to Udinese and things like that, like Prodel and, and stuff like that. But it's about getting the, the core players in your 20s. Yes, if you lose Kapu, you keep Hughes. He's, he's what, 25? Shalabar, he's 25. That's the sort of evolution, I think. And, you know, utilising the players that you've got in the building already. So I think that those moves are already happening. It's not going to be in the traditional sense where there's going to be this thrust of academy players, but I think it is happening. Going back to your other question about someone who might be, you know, might be on the radar. Bought yourself some thinking time there, Adam. Lovely. You know, someone like Ryan Cassidy, for example, you know, young striker who was coming through the ranks and doing really, really well. Um... You know, a few things went on last year, but now he's got a, a loan move, you know, out to Accrington Stanley, can go and play some football. And I think that's what the club needs to be better at. You know, you look at Tottenham, for example, they get their players, and this is where William Trustekong has also experienced. You know, if they think that you're good enough, they'll send you out on loan, and then you can come back, the likes of Harry Kane, Andros Townsend, all those sort of players. Watford need to be better at doing that, and it's good to see some of the younger players like Ryan Cassidy going out, hopefully scoring some goals, and then maybe coming back in. Have another look at him. Okay, go out on another loan. And then you'll start to reap the rewards down the line because you've got younger players playing men's football. And sometimes, we're seeing in the first team at the moment, you've got some young guys who are thrown in and they haven't played much men's football and they need to play more of that before they actually come into the first team and be competitive. So we've got some youngsters about to take the field this evening for Watford. As expected, Vladimir Ivic has shuffled his pack as the uh, intensity of these fixtures comes um, gets uh, more intense and intense with Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. We've got João Pedro and James Garner, probably the, the ones that fit into that bracket this evening. So thanks for that, Adam. Just in terms of the Athletic, what can people expect or should they keep their eyes open for in the, in the coming days and weeks? I'm going to be writing, obviously, about this game, you know, looking at the best attack against the best defence. So compare how, how, how this goes. The teams are just coming out on the pitch as, as, we, as we sit here now. Also, something coming up on João Pedro as well. Um, so look out for that. And then, obviously, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday, meeting our old friends from uh, the south coast in Bournemouth. You know, two, two clubs doing different things in a new league with new managers. So we'll see how that goes. So um, loads coming up. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. Thanks, Adam. And remember, if you want to subscribe to Athletic to read all Adam's articles, uh, both past and in the future, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Rookery End, uh, where you, at, well, at the moment, you can get a subscription for as low as £1 a month. And also, by subscribing, you get to listen to From the Rookery End absolutely ad-free via The Athletic app. We're back again on Saturday after the game at home to Bournemouth. We had a good test today, Colin, against Blackburn, a real championship side doing little championshipy things to, to get an edge over Watford. This is going to be interesting, this one, because we're sort of playing Bournemouth, who we, we know quite well, and we want to sort of see how they've changed since relegation. Yeah, I haven't seen them play since they um, have been playing in the championship, but they're doing pretty well. Um, they've sold some key players, uh, as we have. So I think um, we'll view it as a as a bit of a kind of uh, physical kind of 
uh, one-upmanship tussle. The rivalry is still there, which has slowly grown, I think, in the last five seasons. And um, we've had a lot of draws against them. We've had some. We've had some stunning victories at their place. They've thrashed us at our place. So it, it's it's a game that you know that all Watford fans can look forward to with relish. Whether or not you know, it, it, in a way, it's a battle of who's doing the best since relegation, and um, we'll see that. I think that what we saw tonight with Blackburn is a team that's really, really up for the fight. I think they'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the season, Blackburn. I can see them being in the top six. They look like a team ready uh, to play in this league and ready to play that many games. And um, they will consider themselves perhaps a little bit unlucky, you know, that they didn't get uh, a bit closer to getting something out of the game with the penalty and all that, which we've talked about. But moving on to Bournemouth, they'll be looking to come to put down a marker to, to get a result against us and say, we are the best of the three that have come down. Um, you're not going to get the best of us. And I think we have to uh, approach that this game on Saturday in the same uh, in the same way, with the same attitude. You know, we have to really go out there and show our credentials as a championship club. If we, if the ultimate aim is to get promoted back into the Premier League, this is a massive game. Even though it's early in the season, we've had a good start. We're on 13 points from six games. And under the old Jason uh, formula, if you win your home games and draw your away games and get two games, two points per game over 46 games, that's 92 points you're going to get promoted. So we're currently one point ahead of that formula. <laughs> and um, and the game on Saturday will give us another opportunity to, to take a step forward. Mike, you know, the fact that this is Bournemouth, who will be deemed to be a slightly harder side to play against. Then we've got Wiccan Wanderers on Tuesday. Do you think, and if you like to take on the character of Vlad, please do. Um, do you think he's going to be picking a stronger side? And basically we will see Etienne Capu start in that game. It depends whether he sees Etienne Capu as a starter. You know, Colin has mentioned, well, we've all talked about how well the, some of the midfield performers have done. I think Garner did well as well. He pushed him, put himself around a lot today and he got he got booted up in the air at a fair few times, took one in the back, took one in the shin. So he's, he's played well. So, you know, Capu is going to have to force his way back into this side, I think, and he'll have to do that in training. I think we will see a, a changing team. You're right to allude to it, John, that the team that takes to the field against Bournemouth will be different to the team that takes to the field against Wickham. Now, I don't think that will be because Vladimir Ivic sees Wickham as a as a less lesser threat. I just think he sees that as the way he's going to have to manage this squad and this team if we're going to be successful in the Championship. I think as Watford supporters, what we need to do is really, really enjoy and savour this, this win against Blackburn. It was a, a fantastic football match, really. It's had so much going on, so many op- opportunities, so many chances so many talking points and Watford have come out on top having scored three goals three times as many as we've scored in a game all season so that that's something to be happy about we've looked pretty solid defensively ultimately so a really really good win another big challenge on on Saturday and then you know Wickham is another challenge again it's very very different they'll be set up not to concede as well so will we have the quality to unpick uh, a defense that is is set in and will see us as a massive massive scalper certainly after the start they've had they've got nothing to lose with with a, a team that was playing in the Premier League just a couple of months ago coming to to Adams Park so there's no chance, I don't think, of Vladimir Ivic letting um, his charges underestimate that challenge. And, and we shouldn't either. But definitely, definitely want to savour this this evening. A great win. 
um, some some exciting football all round. Massive, massive game on on Saturday, and really that is for bragging rights at the moment. But but on a more serious note, I think Colin is right. It could really set the tone um, for for the rest of the season because this is the first game really that we've had with the dust properly settled on the transfer window. You know, Friday night we played literally two and a, two and two and two and three quarter hours after the transfer window had shut. So you couldn't count that. This is a, this is a kickoff, uh, and we've made a pretty good start, haven't we? And what better way to to carry it on than with uh, a good performance and, uh, and a big win over our old friends. Thank you very much for your time, Michael. No problem. Well done, Watford. Really enjoyed that proper match. Come on, you warnings. And thank you, Colin. <laughs> thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed the game tonight. Oh, it's another win for the Hornets. And we're up to third, if that means anything after six games. On to a game against Bournemouth. Come on, you warnings.